Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and with Halloween not that far off, I thought we'd go back and have another run of horror subjects. So we're going to start things off today with me and Jeff McGee commencing our first coverage of Ghostbusters as we look at the opening library scene. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Jeff, are you of an age that you remember Ghostbusters' original release? Oh, I actually saw Ghostbusters in the theater. My brother and I went... So, I may have told this story before on this show, but if I did, I apologize. Uh, Growing up in Paris, Texas, the uh, large metropolis that is Paris, there were two movie theaters. The Cinema and the Grand. The Grand was downtown. They each had two screens. The Grand used to be a live theater with a balcony and a fly system and everything. Well, they closed off the the balcony and made it a second floor so that they could put in two movie screens. So it was very easy to pay for one movie and watch two because you would just go upstairs or downstairs, (laughs) as it were, when the movie was over. It was very easy if the, the movie you paid for was downstairs because the bathrooms were upstairs, so you could just, quote, go upstairs to the bathroom and just wander into the other theater. So... That I did that a lot when I was a kid. I saw uh, Dragnet and Spaceballs uh, at the same at the same day. To this day, I don't remember the last ten minutes of Dragnet, even though I've seen it probably twenty times. Because that day, the projector broke, and oh. I had to make it up to Spaceballs because I didn't want to miss any of that. Obviously, so I missed the last ten minutes of Dragnet. So to this day, I just can't remember it. But uh, we, my brother took me. To, we went to see Ghostbusters, and upstairs was playing the Cannonball Run two, one of the rare sequels that surpasses the original. So, on the same day, the same evening, I saw one of the greatest cinematic comedies ever produced, and Ghostbusters. <laughs> nice, nice. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding about that part, but no, but I did see both, and I was just blown away by it. I've been a fan ever since, uh, and you know, there were parts of the film that legitimately scared me as a kid, mm. and some that still do actually. Yeah, I mean, this is what a lot of people forget about Ghostbusters that there are some creepy moments in it. Um, um, I, I had forgotten until I got it on the Blu-ray, and I, I you know, uh, put it on for my children who were quite small then, and put it on, and I'd totally forgotten there's a blowjob gag. In it. Oh, yeah. And, you know and, what? I didn't realize that's what it was, though, when I was a kid. I, I, uh, I, I knew it was something sexual, but I didn't realize that that's exactly what it was. Um, when I was in high school, side note, when I was in high school, uh, when I had hair, I looked enough like Dan Aykroyd that people who didn't even know me would comment on it. What call you Dan? They, they, I, I, was, I was doing a, uh, a, a dramatic interpretation with a, with a friend uh, in college and uh, of a play, and the critic judge wrote in their notes, tall, dark-haired guy. One who looks like Dan Aykroyd. Nice intensity. I was like, oh, wow. So I guess that's a thing. And I would always have to do that face that he did at the end of that scene for people in my class. Really? I was there performing monkey. And they're like, do, do, the, do the thing. Do the thing. And so I would just have to you know, cross my eyes and roll my head back and everything. <laughs> 
Well, there's a thing. There, there, there's an answer I didn't think I was going to be getting uh, off of that one. Um, it's under, funny. Under promise and over deliver. That's always my, yes, <laughs> my that's motto. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's funny how you describe your your theatre that you saw Ghostbusters in because um, um, '84. Um, that was the first cinema I was working in, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it's similar um, um, layout in that it was an, a really big 1930s cinema, and then when cinema was on the way out in the late 60s, early 70s, they they too, you know, put a false floor from the front of the balcony across. Um, but what they did in my cinema was the stalls area downstairs became a bingo hall because bingo was big. <laughs> And right. then upstairs, the old balcony area, um, it, it it started off a, as like a 500-seat um, uh, screen. But then they they twinned it. They put a middle wall right down. So it split the, 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 the balcony area into two. So you had screen one and screen two, right? Oh, wow. So you couldn't in R1 go upstairs. Um, you, you, you right. Know, you'd be in the bingo hall, and then you would have to, you know, go and blah, blah, blah. But... What I remember about Ghostbusters, my abiding memory of Ghostbusters, is that over here in the UK, it came out first week of December 1984, and Ghostbusters was in screen one, and released on exactly the same day in screen two was Gremlins. Oh, what a great double bill. Yeah, it's a great double bill, but the problem was... Ghostbusters, I, I know in America, was a massive hit. And it was over here as well, you know. And everybody was talking about it. Everybody was going to go and see it. And people were saying to me, oh, it's such a good film. I'm going to go back and see it again. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. There's another film was playing as well called Gremlins, right? Go and see Gremlins. Go and see Gremlins. And it flopped, right? Gremlins stayed one week at our, at our cinema because the following week, June came out, Right. So, 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 halfway so Dune through, was the big hit and Gremlins flopped? Yeah, Dune stayed one week. It had to go because it was only oh, a three-screener, okay. okay? All we had was three screens, the two big screens and a small screen, which was converted from the old restaurant, right? So, yeah, yeah, you know, Christmas is coming. So I think it was about like, like the 7th of December, Ghostbusters in screen one, you know, Gremlins in screen two. The next week, 14th, Ghostbusters stays because it's pop, proving so popular. But yeah, Gremlins went after one week because it had to make way for Dune, you see. And when I found out that it was going that week, it's like, I was saying to all my friends, don't go and see Ghostbusters again. Watch Gremlins. <laughs> You've got to see Gremlins. Um, and yeah, it was a total and utter flop, uh, in, at least in my town when it came wow. out. Wow. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you go back, when's the last time you saw Gremlins? Have you watched Gremlins with your kids yet? Yeah, with my eldest, yes. Because um, that's one that uh, is, is far darker than I remembered when I was a kid as well. Yeah, you've got some uh, grim, nasty moments in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it was big over here, Ghostbusters. I mean, you, you know, helped immeasurably by the, by the record. Um, that was the thing. Do you remember the days when, you know, films would be popular and songs from the film would be massive and they would... Uh, uh, you know, a huge part of the film's popularity. Popularity, right. Was because of a song. I can't remember the last time. Can you think of a, a recent song that's, you know, from a film that, you know, everybody hears it and goes, oh, that, that that's that film. I can't think uh, of one. Other than Disney musicals like Frozen and things like that, the last time I can remember was My Heart Will Go On from Titanic, which was 97. Yeah. Yeah, that must be about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you always did back then. I mean, you had that, you know, you had Footloose, didn't you? You had, I mean, Brian Adams, you know, the bloody Prince Robin of Hood, Thieves. Prince of Thieves, Thieves Back were. to the Future had power Back to love. the Future, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, yeah, I remember that. I remember the record being massive. I remember going down the market and there were knockoff T-shirts because there was no merchandise. I don't know about in America, but, but Ghostbusters oh, over here, we had none. There was a ton. I actually had a side note about the song. Uh, the song Ghostbusters was the only song at our local skating rink that I never fell down during. <laughs> so anytime it played, I had to get out on the on the on the rink because for some reason I would never fall down while it was playing. No, we had a ton of Ghostbusters merchandise. I actually had a glow in the dark shirt. It was the Ghostbusters logo, and the ghost glowed in, glowed in the dark. And I gave it. I had some friends that came over for a slumber party, and one of them needed a shirt, and we decided to play hide and seek in the dark which is something we did when I was a kid for some reason. And I gave him this glow-in-the-dark shirt, and he didn't know it was glow-in-the-dark, and he couldn't figure out why he always got caught first right out of the bag, <laughs> right out of the gate. And uh, I, f- I feel bad about that now. But, uh, yeah, there was a ton. And, of course, once the cartoon started, it, that just ex- exploded even more. But, yeah, there, there was a ton of Ghostbusters merchandise in the States. No, I, I don't think we even had the cartoon when it first came out either, you know. And it, it, it was a bit of an oddity, um, you know, I, at least speaking for myself, uh, in the the only cast member that I knew when Ghostbusters came out because we never had Saturday Night Live over here right so right. You, you know the first time I ever see um, like Chevy Chase it's a National Lampoon film first time I saw the only person I, I knew from the Ghostbusters cast was Dan Aykroyd because like the year before he had done Trading Places hadn't he so right. oh, that's the guy from Trading Places but I hadn't seen Bill Murray before I hadn't seen Harold Ramis before so yeah th- 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 this was all new to me I think you know, I'm trying to remember. I am sure that I had seen a Bill Murray movie before. Like I knew Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd somehow, and uh, but but it may be that I'm just remembering at that time that I became aware of everything at around the same time. But I'm pretty sure I had seen Meatballs by this point, right? With Bill Murray, but maybe not because I saw that on video. Ah. But I knew that I knew, I knew that I knew I liked them. Uh, I, I wasn't familiar with Harold Ramis. Um, Rick Moranis, I probably had seen on, I'd, I'd seen Strange Brew at that point. Right. So I knew Rick Moranis from that. But yeah, this was the first time I really knew uh, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, Ernie had you Hudson, not seen obviously. Alien? Had you not seen I, Alien by that point? No, keep in mind, I was eight years old uh, of course, uh, yeah. when this came out. Actually, I was probably seven. Uh, so I was, I was familiar with Alien, but I had not seen it. I didn't see Alien until after I saw Aliens, until after I saw the sequel. Right. Right. Somehow that I don't know how that happened, but uh, yeah, I I was uh, was not familiar with her. Uh, William Atherton, I knew. Um, no, I didn't know William Atherton either at that point because uh, Real Genius had not come out yet. So no, so yeah, it was it, for me. It was Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Somehow I was familiar with both of them, uh, but I I don't really know why. But I knew I knew them and I knew that I liked them. Okay. All right. Well, that's the uh, that's the opening spiel out of the way. Shall we talk about the uh, the film itself then? Shall yes, we? Yes, let's. It's here. A full torso apparition, and it's real. So what do we do? Could you come over here and talk to me for a second, please? Could you just come over here for a second, please? Right over here. Come here, Francine. Come here. What do we do? contact one of us should actually try to speak to it good idea 
Hello. I'm Peter. Where are you from, originally? Shh. All right, okay. The usual stuff isn't working. Okay, I have a plan. I know exactly what to do. Now stay close. Stay close. I know. Do exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you know, starts off New York Public Library. Um, I recognize it. I mean, I, I've never been to the States. Um, and I think if I do get the opportunity to go to the States, New York will be one of the first places to go because I recognize it um, in New York from so many films and TV shows and stuff like that. Um, I went to New York in 2019 at Christmas. My girlfriend and I went and uh, we on a Sunday morning walked past the, the New York live, this, this library and got pictures next to the lions and everything. And, and Chris Irons was super jealous. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> open obviously at the time, so we couldn't go in and we didn't make it down into, I believe it's, is it Brooklyn where the firehouse is? We didn't make it over to the firehouse. She had been before, but I had never been. So the next time we go, that's our, that's our next stop is going down by the firehouse. Cause you can do uh, you know, photo ops and everything there as well. Right. Right. So, so yeah, a bit of a ghostbusters uh, pilgrimage. For you. Right. Yeah. Um, I, when you watch the film, you know, I think they removed some of it, but when they first were, you, you know, scouting locations and that, they wanted to, you know, have this opening scene in at the public library, but there was scaffolding absolutely everywhere. And that kind of like dismayed the uh, filmmakers because, you know, uh, there's the stone statues play a part in this right. and they wanted them to be prominent. Like you still see some scaffolding, don't you, around at the beginning. Um, but I reckon they took an awful lot of it away. So the building is is clearly the New York Public Library. Right. I believe they did remove quite a bit just for to, to shoot and probably just had to move it back, which is funny because anytime you go to New York, you're going to see scaffolding everywhere anyway because something's always being worked on. Right. Gotcha. Um, something that um, dismayed me somewhat um, looking into uh, behind the scenes and researching uh, for today is when we go inside and we see Alice the librarian uh, trundling along with her trolley um, is to find out that I'm actually three years older than she was in that film. Oh, wow. Now, to me, that's a little old lady, but apparently I'm three. She, she, she was 56 when she made that and I'm three years older than that. That's depressing, she's, isn't it? She's well, no, because uh, you, you don't look your age and she's one of those actresses. She's kind of like William Hickey. She always looked older than mm. she really was. Right. Uh, I mean, you know who William Hickey is, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Lewis, when he was in Christmas vacation, he was in his sixties. Blimey. <laughs> yeah. So she's, and she's wonderful. She's one of those uh, actresses that I, anytime she showed up in anything, was in an episode of Night Court or even uh, East Ventura. She's always so much fun. I always she, liked her. She fits right in, doesn't she, with yes. our main cast when shortly when uh, they're going to be talking to her. But there she is. Um, she goes down into uh, the basement. And um, I hadn't realized, because, you know, you know, when you're podcasting you, and you're watching something to podcast, you watch a bit closer than normal. I didn't right. realize that this scene, when she goes downstairs, that's one shot. It's all done in one take. That's one long tracking shot. 
there is a lot of really, uh, really intricate and, and interesting camera work in the whole movie, but this one especially to start off with. And it's funny, this is such a strange way to start a movie like this because it's a really slow opening. I'll be honest, when I was a kid and I watched this on VHS, I would sometimes fast forward through this because it was too slow. Right. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh no, this is all atmosphere. This is mood setting. Yeah. And part of it is that 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 long tracking shot with the the sound. I, this was the first time I'd really listened to the sound, the score and the soundtrack. I have the score on vinyl. So um, I was able to listen to that and you can hear so much more than you can if you're streaming it. Mm. And when you're watching it on, on Blu-ray or, or 4K or, or what have you, you can hear so much more of the soundtrack and there's so much interesting stuff going on there as well that just, it sets that mood. And you're right, the tracking shot is part of it. I don't think uh, Reitman uh, gets enough credit as a director. No, no. For stuff like that. No, I mean, I mean, this is almost John Carpenter-esque. I mean, you know, right. the camera is actually going down the stairs in front of her. So looking at her as she descends the stairs, then the camera stops as she walks past the camera. Then it follows her down all these aisles. Um, and then as she goes down the aisle, we have the book books passing across the aisles. And she stops, she turns, and then she looks back. And that's one take. That's one. To, there's no cuts away at all or anything. Her descent down the stairs, down there, past the books, through the books. The books float in the air, and she's unaware, and she turns around all in one take. I'd never ever noticed that before. Me either. And it's it's great because it kind of gives you the sense that you're getting the the point of view of the ghost that's following her. Yes. Well, as I it's say, exactly John Carpenter, it, is, yeah. it could be yeah. the shape down there, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and we get our first cut, or the cut is when she goes around that corner. That's where we cut to the next shot. And that's when she's um, at a desk and she goes off down another aisle. And that's when we get the library, library card moment. Um, I'll talk about that in behind the scenes, how they did that. But um, I remember watching this with an audience because um, I'm waiting for the big uh, jump scare coming up. And um, it's, a, it, it, it's quite a charming little spooky moment this isn't it it really is like i said when i was a kid i didn't appreciate it as much but as an adult you can appreciate that it is spooky is, a, is the perfect word to describe it because it is it's setting that mood and get you're realizing okay yeah this is a comedy but this is also a, a, we talked about it, it's a legitimately has some scary moments in it and that's what makes it all work is you this helps you buy into the reality of the whole thing because you're just seeing this woman live her life down in this basement yeah yeah and she starts to panic, she runs, she comes around a corner, stops, sees something, screams, there's a lot of wind. Um, and, and a big light. A big light, and we go into that song, don't we? And the, uh, and the opening. Which is still, uh, which is still uh, making money for Huey Lewis. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So after the opening credits, we go into the, uh, the psychic scene, don't we? Um, <laughs> Right. With Bill Murray, um, which I always used to uh, watch because, again, if you're a projectionist, you put the film on, you wander downstairs and you just stand at the side and and watch certain moments. And I, I remember always watching um, 
the beginning of Ghostbusters because I'm watching the audience because I know what's coming. So I'm watching to see when they jump. I'm watching to see when they laugh. Okay, and this scene always got a lot of laughs. And the moment that got the biggest laugh is when the kid is electrocuted and his bubble gum falls out. His oh, mouth. The gum falls out. Yeah, and then he puts it back in his mouth. <laughs> <And he> put- <laughs> That's what always made me laugh is when he picks it up and puts it back in his mouth. Yeah. Now, now we're in, we're in the middle of a pandemic and that you don't you don't pick something up that right. has just fallen out your mouth and gone on a table for goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a nice little scene. I think, as I say, this is my introduction to Bill Murray. This is the first time I ever saw Bill Murray. Um, seems a bit odd now, though. You, you know, I don't know how old Bill Murray was when he made it, but he's hitting on a teenage girl, which seems a bit a bit weird now. Um, but then in come in comes Jeff. I, I mean Dan, Dan and. Uh, <laughs> right. Tells him, come on, we're off. We've got a genuine case. And uh, that's when they go off and see our Alice there. And, uh, yeah, no, she's really good. Uh, her delivery of the line, I had an uncle who thought he was St. Jerome. I <laughs> thought he was St. Jerome. <laughs> and then the pause is Bill Murray's, I call that a big yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, Alice, are you menstruating right now? <laughs> and the whole back off, man, I'm a scientist, which I've seen on so many T-shirts. Yes. Right. Um, and and then we get Harold Ramis. We've, I've forgotten. We've got Harold Ramis. There he is. There's Egon with his lovely little PK reader device thing. Um, I wish they had made them. When the film came out, I would have bought one of them in a, in, in a shot. I know. They, they made some, again, when the cartoon started, but they, they were obviously were not film accurate. They were made to look like the ones in the cartoon. Um, and they've released some in recent years, but yeah, if they had made one, then yeah, they could have had all of my money. Yeah, but now, I mean, you now that it, it'll be more high tech than the original, won't right. it? You know, with everything now. Um, yeah, on a smaller side, there, I mean, Ghostbusters is popular in the UK now. I know because you know, I'm I'm still um, with the 501st, and in the UK, there's an offshoot to that called Real Icons. And um, it's still the same exacting standards of authenticity for all the costumes, but it's not Star Wars. It's anything, you know, film and TV characters, okay? And I know from talking to the guys, you know, who have got, you know, Ghostbusters outfits, those proton packs cost a fortune. If you you, you want a screen-accurate proton pack... Good grief! The amount is hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds to 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 build one of them. My uh, my best friend Taylor and I have, we have another friend named Chris uh, who lives in uh, Georgia who uh, has his he has a uh, a car his I think it's a Mini Cooper decked out to look like the Ecto one. Right. And uh, my friend Taylor who lives in Denton about thirty minutes from me has started he's he's put together a Denton Ghostbusters crew and he's built his own. He's built his own uh, proton pack and everything. Got his picture yesterday with Adam Savage at oh, a convention wow. here with his with his all of his getup on, and it looks pretty screen accurate. And his his trap and everything it's 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 great. But he's built most of it himself, so that's that's how he got around the hundreds of hundred, and hundreds of dollars. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even if you're going to make it yourself, it still costs hundreds because you've got to get all these screen accurate parts, you know. And I can't remember one of the guys was telling me what the the backpack and the you know the gun bit was made from and there's really rare you know cables that you can't get anymore because we've all gone digital and we haven't got analog cables anymore and coax cable and stuff like this and connectors and stuff like that you know um yeah if you if, if you want the real deal it takes an awful lot of sourcing and an awful lot of money the best ones that they've got is now you know because it's the same with you know 
Darth Vader's voice box and stuff like that. that there's quite an industry in all the add-on bits that you can have. And, you, you right. know, to have one of those proton pack gun things and you turn it and it has that firing up noise, that's brilliant, you know? Oh, it's and it's so much fun, yeah. And it really... It, it's funny to me that Ghostbusters has had so much staying power because we we had uh, you, you were talking about that you know we we had the movie in eighty four the sequel in eighty nine in between we had the the cartoon series uh, then we didn't really have anything until twenty was it twenty sixteen when the uh, the reboot happened that was not the well received reboot, at all yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and in between there just wasn't really a whole lot and it's just always been amazing to me how much staying power. The, the the property has had mm. that you still have people to this day cosplaying as them. I think I think it's the same thing as as with Star Wars is that you know it made an impact. You, know, you say you were eight years old. It made an impact on you. That stays with you. Then when you reach adulthood and earning money and have disposable income and you want a hobby, you you, you know that's why you can now get you know build your own Ecto One car and stuff like right. this you know um yeah it, it's definitely part of all that isn't it it is and and i think the the main thing behind it i think the main reason behind it is the fact that at the end of the day it's a remarkably well done film mm. it is it's a, almost a perfect film really in a lot of ways it's just kind of sort of perfectly executed and i think had it been one that was just tossed off that was popular at the time there's no way it's going to have that kind of staying power but the reason that younger generations are finding it and the reason that it holds up is because it is a very well done film it's perfectly cast perfectly edited the writing is great that we where you talked about the direction is is phenomenal and doesn't get nearly enough credit so i've just every time i watch it i'm reminded of what a good movie it is Mm. yeah very well said jeff um shortly after um that we've got the symmetrical book stacking um (laughs) Uh, which always raises a smile with, you know, oh, um, Bill going, um, you know, no human being would stack books like this. Um, <laughs> but the thing that gets always got a laugh is when old Dan goes, uh, listen, do you smell something? <laughs> you know, that, that, that just, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. All right. So after that, we've got the uh, the ectoplasm everywhere. Um, you know, in the drawers and stuff, um, which was food starch, I see. Um, and the whole bit with um, uh, Venkman, you know, flicking the, the ectoplasm and that. That, ah. that yeah, that, that was all improv. That's old Bill of course it was. improvising. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we have the bookcase falling over. And then we have the PK meter starts registering something, doesn't it? Up it goes. Those little arms on the side go up. And uh, they go around the corner, and there she is. There, there, there's the lady. I'll, I'll call her Violet because she's kind of like in the hues of Violet. I don't know why they've gone for this like color. Is it to you know tone down uh, the horror bit that's just coming up? Because it is a distinctive color. You don't really tend to see ghosts this color in films, do you? You know, and I, I want to say it maybe had something to do with the the way they were doing the special effects because I assume there was a lot of green screen done with this and it blue or green screen and it may have been something to do with that. Mm. It just makes it know, more ethereal, doesn't it? It makes yeah. it much more um, phantom-like. This isn't a color that you really see in Poltergeist or anything like that, is it? 
No, and it really does set it. That is sort of the Ghostbusters ghost. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and you know, it's like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. and they don't know what to do now. They've never encountered a ghost before, and um, so yeah, um, old Venkman's given the job of going to talk to her. Where and- are you from? Originally, originally, <laughs> I love his deadpan. I lo- no one does deadpan better than Bill Murray, you know. No, not at all. Um, and he totally deadpans when he's shushed by by the ghost, you know. And uh, you know that's when you know Dan's given the job of going out, and uh, we have the uh, get her, get her. Now, the only thing I don't like about this this sequence is that Dan Aykroyd. It's obvious. Um, he knows that there's going to be a blast of air just about to come. So as he goes get her and the, the air is just about to fire in his face, he starts blinking like mad. Oh, um, I never, I've never noticed that. Yeah, he starts blinking. It's exactly the same when I go to have my eyes tested and they puff that air into right. your eyeball. You know it's coming, so you start blinking. And it's the same thing that Kurt Russell does as McCready when they're just about to do the blood test in the thing. He knows that this jet of fake blood is about to squirt up in the air and he does a Dan Aykroyd rapid blinking thing you know um yeah I, I you've never noticed that before I never noticed I'm gonna have to watch for it the next time I watch it yeah you you, you watch him he blinks like mad just as he does get her and there it is there is our, our our subject of today there is the well what is that you know yeah that's and, and that this is uh this actually scared me when I was a kid and it kind of creeps me out to this day. It's kind of like the uh, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. When I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say it. As soon as I you... always react the same way. He's yeah. going to say Raiders. He's going to say Raiders. There is something about it, isn't there? I don't know if it's like the flowing hair, the wind effect, or something. There is something a bit end of Raiders of the Lost Ark or end of uh, Last Crusade about it. Right, and but and it is again. It sort of underscores that we, this, this is a comedy, but it's also going to be a legitimate horror film, mm. supernatural horror film. Yeah, and uh, and you have to assume this is what the librarian saw as well. Yes, and, uh, where the colors yeah. are the same, isn't it? Right. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, so we have this demon. I suppose it's a demon or something that can also make itself look like a victorian librarian at the same time it's a free-floating full torso vaporous apparition there you go well done you are dan Aykroyd. um <laughs> i really am and that's our sequence it's a very small sequence this today is really it's our um our foot in the door of ghostbusters because you know i thought i thought it's about time we did ghostbusters and we might as well start at the very beginning a very good, it's place, a very good to place to start. I knew you. <laughs> I got that in just before you. At least you didn't sing it, Jeff. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, not so, this time. It's too early. Yeah. Or oh, it's getting a bit late for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, today it's a short sequence. So, I mean, if you want, you can come back uh, for a late sequence when we do uh, come back to Ghostbusters. Um, I don't know how. Uh, um, uh, knowledgeable you are about behind the scenes on it but i've got some info for you jeff i I know a little bit about like the pre-production and everything and about how it was supposed to be originally you know set in the future with Ackroyd and belushi but as far as um 
like the 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 special effects stuff i only know what's been on the commentaries on the oh, commentary right. tracks okay well all right i'll, I'll focus on the uh, special effects because this is a special effects show and um yeah i mean when they were starting up the pre-production on the film they of course they needed an effects house to do the special effects they went to um industrial light and magic you know the go-to guys but they were really busy they were working on uh return of the jedi they were working on indiana jones and they were working on star trek 3 so they had their hands full so they went to apogee but they were working on june so so it's like <laughs> what, the, what the bloody hell are we going to do um but richard edland who was still with industrial light and magic at that time um he had been saying that he wanted to to leave and set up his own shop and word had got out about that and uh, he one day he receives a phone call from Ivan Reitman um, asking him to work on Ghostbusters the deal being that Columbia would put up five million dollars to start his own effects house um, on the oh, proviso I never knew that wow yeah Boss Films exists because of Ghostbusters Columbia put up the money to start it up on the proviso that their first job is exclusively working on Ghostbusters. All right. That seems reasonable. Yes. Yeah. And so, oh, Richard, he's given five million. The first thing he does, he buys Douglas Trumbull's entertainment effects group, um, you know, because by doing that, he gets their uh, Marina Del Rey facility that they had there. Um, so he used the money to buy the company, they got the facility. They had to rebuild the studio, and you know, um, you know, new techniques had come along, and you know, so they got that all up to speed and stuff like that. He goes and consulted with the producers over the amount of effects work they wanted. That bumped the budget up by another five million. It was at twenty-five. It went up to thirty million because he said, "Look, we just can't do these effects that you want, you know, cheaply." Um, so yeah, that's that. That's all in place. As we said, the um, the the reading room uh, scene where we see Alice for the first time—that's the real reading room in the real New York Public Library. But um, they all had to be out there by ten in the morning. Um, they could shoot early, but they had to be out by ten in the morning. The downstairs scene where we've got that lovely tracking shot—that was actually down in the Los Angeles Public Library. All right. Um, now, the first effect that you see is the books floating in the air, going from one bookcase to the other. And a lot of people think that's an optical effect, but it's not. It, they did that in camera, didn't they? Yeah. It's all in camera. They are on wires. And if the, if the camera just pointed upwards, you'd have seen that there was a track above the bookcases. And it was a simple matter of just moving them along on the track. As long as the wires aren't visible... Um, You've got they don't it. exist. And it not it brilliant? I mean, the, the, the lady playing Alice, she walks past them, they go past, she turns, they stop just at the moment that, um, you know, she turns around. I don't know how many takes they did. Uh, I was just about to, to say that. I right. wonder, because that's at the end of the take, so I wonder how many. It kind of reminds me of the tracking shot in Goodfellas that Henny Youngman kept screwing up. Mm, yeah, we only see the, the final one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the next effects is the uh, the card draw, though that they're opening, and the way they achieved that was on the right. That wall behind those uh, draw cabinets is fake. What you've got behind there are some operators who are manually pushing the drawer out, and then all they had was some compressed air 
fire down a tube to just blow them out one after the other. It was as simple as that. I'm always amazed by that uh, because um, it's so smooth and they all move out at such a, a uniform in such a uniform uh, pattern mm. that I always assumed that it was something else. Yeah, because it's sort of the opposite of the A Christmas Story when when uh, was it Schwartz got his or Flick or Schwartz got his tongue tucked to the light pole. They had a vacuum cleaner sucking his tongue through the through the pole. And this was the exact opposite. And I've always been amazed that they were able to get that smooth of, a, of an effect with just the compressed air pushing out. It is amazing, isn't it? It always reminds me, it is so such a simple thing, but it looks so brilliant. It's the same thing, I think, in Close Encounters, where you've got the screws undoing from the plate in the floor. And you just know that's a practical effect. That's not optical, but it looks flawless, you know? And I think what you were saying earlier about, you know, Ghostbusters has, you know, stood up to the test of time, is an awful lot of these effects are practical effects, therefore they don't date. Right. Yeah, you don't you don't have some uh well it was okay for its time, computer generated or optical effects. It's it's all yeah, it's all done in camera, so it's it was actually happening, so that's exactly what it looks like. Hmm. Yeah. And then the big effect, you know, this this beastie at the end, this demon, um, was a mechanical puppet, all right? I've got lots of photos which I'll put on, on Facebook. It went through a lot of design stages. Uh, the various designs were considered, and uh, when they had pretty much nailed the design they wanted, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Brian Wilson built a mock-up out of you know PVC pipe and glue and wood, and he made, he made a maquette, if you like. And once that was approved, they built the the full-size one, uh, and the face of this demon is actually sculpted over a mould they had taken off of the actress Ruth Oliver, who played the librarian. Um, now, Steve Johnson, he when this transformation happens, and, and it goes like that, he wanted the ghost's head to lower, he wanted the shoulders to raise, her deltoid to her bicep to elongate, her wrist to elongate, her fingers to grow, her mouth get bigger, and her head to flatten, right? That was the shopping list. That's what they wanted the transformation to be. But it all had to be achieved in just over a second. I think it was about 35, 40 frames they had to do this all in. Now, the trouble is, this is a puppet, right? And right. Steve realized that the puppeteers, there's no way they, they can do that in real time because to do all those things, you know, lengthening the head, flattening, blah, blah, stretching, da, da, you'd need about 30 operators right. all working in unison <laughs> to make it all happen in about a second and a half, right? And that's just not possible. It's just not possible. So it had to be mechanized. It had to be a mechanized puppet, all right? And they gave the job to John Alberti, and he did it. He made, made a mechanical pneumatic system that, you know, at the press of a button or pull of a lever, it would do all those things all at once, you know. Um, brilliant bit of engineering because, you know, that, 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 that means you've got an understructure of, you know, you know, wires and what have you to operate all these things. But you wouldn't know that when you watch that scene that you've got an animatronic underneath that, would you? You you wouldn't you would not know it at all and and again the, it it like you said it holds up to this day yes I would you could you could have asked me before this how they did them like I have no idea yeah 
Yeah. I assume that they found a ghost and just put it on camera. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now that would be all CGI, wouldn't it? And, and, right. and it would pretty much look exactly like that. But no, no, no. This was all done by... They got it down to one guy could do it. Just pull a lever and, and it would do it in that, in that second and a half. And they filmed it and they filmed it against uh, a, a black screen. And uh, that was it put into the shot. Um, uh, the last bit of info I've got is that when the demon roars, it was actually meant to say or shout out quiet. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, and, and that's because Bernie Wrightson, you know, the, the, the fabulous Bernie Wrightson, who is, is well known for, you know, doing some amazing horror work. He was one of the concept designers, and he did a sketch of the demon version librarian shouting quiet. And they, the, the, you know, Ivan Reitman liked that, and that was the original plan, was to, you know, have it shout quiet. But I don't know why they changed it to a roar. Maybe if, if it was going to be quiet, you're then talking about animating the lips to make it look like it says quiet i don't know but yeah originally well, it could it also be that quiet. nobody nobody understood what it was saying anyway and mm. the roar just sounded better yeah yeah so that's what you got you just got the roar and uh and that's it that's that's all the behind the scenes and it's it's always been interesting to me that they they sort of pulled a jaws here they didn't show us the ghost the first time mm. and then we do see it the second time which i think makes that's what makes the uh this whole scene that much more effective yeah, we see one person get scared by it, but we don't know what it is, and then they finally reveal it. Uh, I could see them very easily have just not revealing it either time, mm. um, and it been a real letdown. So I'm really glad that they spent the extra time going through that. And uh, man, I, yeah, I didn't realize that it, there was that much that went into it, and they had such exacting specifications for what they wanted. Mm. Yeah, like I don't know how how do you look at that and say, okay, this is what we need to make this work just in your head. Yeah, yeah, and and I I, I think this is a. Um... It's a good effect that, um, you, you know, it sets the tone, it sets the pace for what we'll be seeing in the rest of the film, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, you, you let you know, hey, you, this is, yeah, this is going to be a comedy, but this is going to be legit scary as well. So yeah. settle in. Yeah, it's settle in. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's done. Um, so it's been a while since we've done an Effectively Speaking. It's been a while since you've done an Effectively Speaking. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but we've got to rate this effect sequence. Um, well, the three effect sequences that we see in this, we've got the demon, we've got the cards, and we've got the books. What would you give it out of 10, Jeff, as a all-round effects sequence? I give the whole thing a 10 out of 10, because, and that's based on what they were trying to accomplish versus what they accomplished. And I think, uh, as far as I can tell, it is flawless. Like you said, you cannot see, even even in, in 4K, you know, ultra high def, whatever, you can't see the wire that the that the books are on. Yep. You can't see any any of the air pushing. Obviously, you can't see the air, but you can't see anything pushing the uh, pushing the cards out, and you can't see any any mat lines or anything around that ghost. So, to me, this is one of the most impressive special effects sequences we, you and I have talked about mm. on on the show. Yep, I agree with what you're saying. I wasn't as generous though. I gave it a nine. All right, so that's because there's always room for improvement, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about everything else I've given a 10, you know, and uh, it's, 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 it's my personal, you know, uh, rating. So, yeah, nine, 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 that's a nine and a half. That's not bad, is it? No, not at all. Hmm. All right. So uh, that's it. That's us done for today. <laughs> all right. So, 
thank you very much for coming along today. It has been quite a long time, hasn't it? When, when were we last talking? Was that Excalibur? The, uh, the, I believe it, I believe so. Um, I know it was the last time we recorded was November of 2020, so it's been almost a year. So I think it was Excalibur. I think it was. I can't think of anything else. Which reminds me, have you seen The Green Knight? No, I haven't, but I'm hearing good things about it. It is one of the... It's, it, I'm, I've, I've not been this excited about a film since I saw Birdman back in 2014, and Birdman is one of my top ten films of all time. Is it really? Uh, that, that's all I'm going to tell you. It's, I, I thought it was wonderful. It's an art film. It's not really... It's 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 not really concerned as much with the narrative as it is setting a mood and everything, but I I think you will, I think you will really enjoy it. Mm, I'll, I'll have to seek it out. As I say, I have been hearing good things about it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, as I say, thank you very much for coming along today. Um, it's up to you what we do next. Um, we can come back to Ghostbusters, or you know, um, you know, you can think of another subject. I will ponder. I might want to come back to Ghostbusters because I I don't get to talk about Ghostbusters often enough. Right. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. Okay. Well, yep. I think that's us just about done. Um, Just before I go, I'm just having a look. I've just called up our Facebook page. I'm looking to see what else scored nine and a half on our very long list. Right. (laughs) So at nine and a half, our our, our Ghostbuster sequence today is... um, on the same level as the drop ship sequences in Aliens, uh, Dead Jack, all the Dead Jack sequences in An American Werewolf in London, and the Balrog in Fellowship of the Ring. So um, that, good that, that's good company for it to be in, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, uh, funny that there's another horror comedy in there as well. Mm, yeah. 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 I think well, I think the, the thing is, when when you're doing a comedy you have to make sure that everything looks twice as real as it ordinarily would because the comedy is going to undercut the horror so much that you've got to make sure everything is... It's kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters have to be better basketball players than anybody on the planet because they have to make it look easy. Yes, yes. That's so, an excellent yeah. way of putting it. Excellent. I can tell I can tell uh, why you do podcasts, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, you get off then. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll be speaking to you soon. I hope so. All right. Cheers, then, Jeff. Cheers. Bye-bye.